Hello. 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 Let us know if you've ever had seal finger. Well. <laughs> do you want to save it or do you want to go with it first? Okay. So there's a plague in Madagascar. <laughs> Yeah, the death toll, the last numbers I saw on it were that it had hit, it had killed 195, and it um, total number of people infected were 2,267. And they are worried about it spreading to the surrounding countries, because apparently this one is like 
a lot worse than previous ones. Like Madagascar is a country where it's kind of like they get it all the time. Like every year they have a plague outbreak, which just sounds insane to live in a country where there's a yearly plague outbreak. But um, yes, there's something about this one apparently is is different. It's kind of more virulent. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, there you go. It's really it's 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 hard to say because they, it might just be something where they are just completely hyping it up um, because they need another scare headline. Um, but it might actually be that something crazy is going on there. Actually, speaking of yeah. being crazy, did you hear this thing about how? The, one of the reasons they might they think it might be spreading is because there's some kind of like tradition among citizens there where they're like um, dig up their dead relatives and dance with them. I don't know what it's called. It's called crazy as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, appar- apparently this uh, this spreads is different to the ones that have happened in the past um, because I think it said the current spread of the disease is unusual in that most of those affected have had the pneumonic form of the plague. So it's the mm. type of uh, plague which affects the lungs and it can apparently kill someone within 24 hours. Um, it can also be transmitted through the air. So when you're talking or coughing or sneezing or something, uh, whether it's just another one of those scare things, I guess only time will tell. Mm. Hello. Can you guys Hello? hear us? How about yeah. the chatters? Can you hear us? Chatters, are you there? <laughs> Can you guys hear us? Coming through loud and clear. Loud and clear. Maybe we don't have any listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Says there's 21 listeners. Yeah. Um... Nope. Yeah. We're not there. That's not good. Not good though. All good. All good. Okay, we're getting conflicting I can hear reports. Too. <laughs> mm. So if everyone restarts their pages, how about fellow co-hosts? Can you hear? I can hear you. Loud and clear. Okay. So apparently we were using the wrong microphone. My bad. Oh. <laughs> well, that explains it. <laughs> I don't know. I heard what I heard what Duke and Elliot said. <laughs> yeah, but everybody else. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we're back. So we're back. And so is and the plague. <laughs> the plague is back. The plague. The, 
you guys were talking about the bubonic plague. That's right. No, the pneumonic plague, right? Pneumonic plague, yeah. That's interesting so because the... I was uh, going to say that um, in the Middle Ages, the plague, it was actually, you know, some Oxford scientists went for this. And uh, they were pretty sure that it is impossible that it was caused by these specific type of plague that is going on in Madagascar. Because hmm. the bubonic plague is not contagious to other people. The bubonic plague is contagious, but it appears only like in 5% of cases of bubonic plague. And it cannot occur in the absence of the bubonic form. And it is transmitted by fleas. Hmm. So the plague in the Middle Ages wasn't the bubonic plague? No, and also because this type of fleas related to a particular rat or, you know, was not even in Europe, you know, not to the mm. extent where the plague back then in the Middle Ages extended even to Iceland, you know. But the climate conditions back then made it impossible for these type of fleas, you know, to exist in Europe. Mm. So so do you mm. think that part of the plague spread because of the same issues, the conditions? The well, in Madagascar, they said that there were a, a recent spate of forest fires, and that drove rats out of the forest and into the rural areas, which is where the plague is hitting in rural areas. So could be. But is it carried by rats? Maybe in this case. But maybe mm. not in the 1300s. <laughs> it's all very confusing. Yeah, well, they don't make that distinction in the articles that I read. They just bring up plague right. and everybody's needs start knocking in fear. And they think about millions of people all over the world dying. And really, that is not the case. Yeah. Well, at this point, it certainly isn't. But, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, in school or whatever, when you studied the plague and, you know, you didn't really necessarily get what type of plague it was or, or whatever. They just talk about how it's like, oh, yeah, I killed off a third of the population of the planet or something like that. And it's and then they say, oh, by the way, there's plague in Madagascar right now. It's like, what? It just seems like really scary. But um, my impression was that it didn't really picked up such as the Ebola scare, even though hmm. this one was potentially worse. I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, speaking of the Ebola scare, huh. Ebola is back. Apparently. No way. Yeah? Well, it's, yeah. it's back It's back a little bit. A little of it. It's back a little bit. It's not the big Ebola, it's the little Ebola. <clears throat> but this was actually back in May, it was reported that Ebola had kind of made a return. Um... What did In the it Congo. Say? Yeah. Yeah, it's not anywhere near the 11,000 people who were infected during the outbreak in 2014, but the infection rate has spiked over 800% in the last seven days. Now, because we haven't heard anything more about this, I wonder if it just kind of fizzled out again. I think um, it might have. And then yeah. the whole 800%. We have to know what the numbers are to know what 800% means. And I think yeah. reading in that same article, the number of cases went from 9 to like 29. So oh, really? 800%. What's <laughs> 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 the thing about these uh, sickness stories or plague stories or Ebola stories? 
you never really know what is true and what isn't. Yes, I know. It's because because they seem they overhype things so much. Mm. Like I'm remembering the the Zika scare, the big Zika scare. Was that last summer or the summer before? Mm-hmm. Where it was like everybody is terrified of this this disease spreading amongst like via mosquitoes, and everybody started killing mosquitoes or trying to kill mosquitoes. Like it was like war on mosquitoes, basically. And then and genetically then modifying like, them too to to not yeah susceptible yeah and it's like the the pesticide that they were using to get rid of the mosquitoes actually had very similar symptoms to what the zika virus was mm-hmm. and yeah it was it, the, the whole thing it just it seems like it's just this massive scare tactic that really doesn't end up you know amounting to very much mm-hmm. so eventually might this turn into a boy cry, the boy who cried wolf kind of situation or they bombard yeah. you with all of these scare stories about diseases and then once a real big disease comes on there no one's going to pay attention i think so we'll know it when it hit home yeah that's what's (laughs) going to happen to me i'm not going to pay attention (laughs) and i'm going to drop head or something (laughs) (laughs) i wonder because it seems like a lot of this often gets paired with well, not always, though, but a lot of times it seems to get paired with the um, the release of a vaccine. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know with the Zika scare, there was all this talk. It's like, don't worry, scientists are working on a vaccine. We're going to have the vaccine very soon. I don't know if that ever materialized either. I never heard yeah, about it. Yeah, I never it. heard anything else about it. Yeah. About the vaccine? I heard that the Russians had like a uh, experimental vaccine. Mm. Mm. But it's, it's not big evil. news. No, nobody it seems like they really like start the whole Zika thing again, so they could sell vaccines, but they haven't done yeah. that yet. Maybe it's just not the season for it. Maybe we'll have to wait. That's what I was summer. thinking. Maybe this summer it'll be like Zika will be back, and then they'll conveniently have a, a vaccine because they or scared the crap out the of the vaccine. Last year. Mm-hmm. And they're you mm-hmm. know the World Health Organization is quote unquote testing it without letting people know, and then it incubates, mm-hmm. and you have people that. Start have, spreading Zika? Ha, yeah, have the, the viral shedding, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so once people get vaccinated, then you'll see a rise in Zika. Yeah. yeah. Take your vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Get lots of sunlight. Not use your red light therapy. Mm. Take keep cold your, baths. Take cold baths. Keep your immune system strong. Yeah. <laughs> Drink your bone broth. Yeah. Turn off your smartphone. <laughs> Switch to a dumb phone. <laughs> We're positive in this show, actually. We've <laughs> got lots of solutions. <laughs> so what's another kind of strange and weird disease you guys well, want to share? This one isn't so strange, but I don't know. This might... Uh, it, it's not as hyped up as Ebola and the... The plague in Madagascar, but meningitis C mm-hmm. uh, hit northern Nigeria. This was back in May of this year. Uh, they, of course, they wanted to start a vaccine vaccination campaign right away, but then they mm-hmm. said that they were short on vaccines, and that's another trick that they try to employ too. Like they say, oh, we're going to start a, vac- a vaccine campaign. We have all these vaccines ordered. And then all of a sudden, whoops, we're short on vaccines. 
Yeah. Not that yeah. I believe in vaccines at all, but I guess that's a way to <laughs> create hype or create a buzz about the vaccine so people will demand it. Oh, it's in short supply. Better line up and wait and get by vaccine. Yeah. So is, that, is the point of that to kind of, because this is one thing that bothers me about the whole vaccine thing. <clears throat> the A lot of times when somebody contracts the disease, they'll give them a vaccine. And to me, that makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. Like are the vaccines meant to, like if they if they're going to try and do a, a vaccine kind of protocol for this case in Nigeria, is it is it to vaccinate people who don't have it yet? Because that might actually you know make some sense if the vaccines actually work. I but think what that... I don't understand is like half the time they end up vaccinating the people who already have it, and to me yeah. that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. If you already have the disease, why do you need the vaccine? Like the whole point of vaccines is to introduce the pathogen so that your body can mount uh, an immune response against it. Well, if you've already got the disease, then you can only assume that the body would already have mounted that defense. Doug, don't Uh, try to use logic in these cases. (laughs) (laughs) I I do that sometimes. I I apologize. Maybe I'm too optimistic. Between sick and not sick. And then when you're dealing with countries where the citizens are living in abject poverty, don't have access to clean water or proper sanitation, toilets and that. I mean, it's no wonder that they're going to get sick. Like in this case, the cases in Nigeria with meningitis C, they said that there was almost 10,000 suspected cases and 839 people died since uh, the end of 2016. Hmm. Are they actually dying from the disease? The we question. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they, well, it's kind of like those back to the AIDS thing. Mm-hmm. And another question that I have is how many people have to die before CDC takes notice? Yeah, before <laughs> CDC takes notice or before I personally consider it a scourge. Yeah. Because a hundred some people dying, like a hundred ninety some people dying of the plague in Madagascar, that doesn't seem like a whole lot to me. Maybe I'm just insensitive. (laughs) No, I know what you mean. It's kind of like the numbers don't really have that kind of um, punch. It's like what? Yeah, what? What level (laughs) would it be before people would actually stand up and go, you know what? That's actually kind of crazy. Yeah, because thousand? the CDC claims that, what, 36,000 people die of the flu every year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and mean, they make a big deal of the flu, too, but the plague in Madagascar killing 195 people compared to the made-up number of 300 or 36,000 flu cases just in the United States, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of like, well, you know. You should get the flu. He's <laughs> way crazier than that. So yeah. they're going around uh, trying to sanitize the streets of Madagascar. I don't know if you can. I mean, if they have sewage running down their streets, what can you do besides clean up the sewage? I don't think spraying bleach on it is going to help in the long run. No, mm. and also the water conditions. I mm-hmm. mean, where are they getting their water from? Yeah. Yeah. They're doing the same in San Diego, though. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. there was that recent article a couple months back uh, about how there's apparently a hepatitis outbreak 
um, in San Diego, <laughs> they're, they're saying that it's probably due to elevated uh, fecal contamination in the environment because mm-hmm. you've got so many homeless people who don't have access to any sanitation. You know, there's no mm-hmm. toilets or anything. So I guess they're just taking a poo out on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so this is, I mean, it's not like there's not too many people who've died. Apparently it's killed 15 people. Um, and hospitalized 300 others, but um, but this is mostly from the city's homeless population. So, uh, well, I think there are bathrooms. It's just that the city is trying to crack down on the homeless issue. So what they're doing is they're locking the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. So ah, they don't okay. have a way to use the bathrooms. And ironically, a lot of California is trying to ban plastic bags, which, you know, is a noble cause because they're bad. But now people who would normally use a plastic bag to do their business, they're not available. Mm. So it's saving the earth, but it's causing an epidemic of hepatitis. So we're going back to Victorian diseases, eh? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe they could just do a plastic bag distribution program to homeless people or something. Or maybe open up the bathrooms. Or how about just put them <clears> in a house? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's kind of crazy. Like they've they've apparently started a whole thing where they're putting out hand wash stations, and they're spraying down, like you said, Elliot. They're spraying down the uh, the streets with uh, bleach and the sidewalks with bleach. To try and uh, and try and curb this um, epidemic. Well, yeah, I, yeah, they were comparing San Diego to Los Angeles, and apparently Los Angeles does uh, go through the streets where all the homeless people hang out and uh, spray bleach on the streets. So they were uh, fearing that hepatitis A would spread down to Los Angeles, and it hasn't. And it's probably because they no, it has. It has. No, the latest article it has. There's been there's been cases in in Los Angeles and mm. Santa Cruz. Mm. Well, a few years so. ago, and I don't know if I'm sure the statistics are higher, but just in Los Angeles alone, there was over a hundred thousand homeless people. Mm. So that's a really huge amount. Yeah. Well, of course they're starting a vaccination campaign in San Diego, oh. and they're putting up flyers and trying to offer like uh, food gift cards to get people to get vaccinated against hepatitis A when really yeah. all they have to do is provide them access to showers and toilets and maybe plastic bags and it wouldn't be so bad. And um, for Gabby and Tiffany, maybe our listeners are interested too, what's the difference between say hepatitis A or B or C? Because I know when children are born, they have to give them or they try to give them a hepatitis B vaccine the day they're born. And they, the, the justification is that, you know, birth is a dirty process and they could contract it from the mother. And so what's the difference? Because we hear a lot about hepatitis B, but not so yeah, much about A. That's the sexually transmitted kind of disease, you know, blood-borne. You know, it's mostly mm-hmm. B and C. Mm-hmm. And A, it's mostly transmitted by fecal matter. So it's actually yeah. a disease of third world countries. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like I never heard before, the United States will have an outbreak of hepatitis A. You know, you don't even hear, 
these stories from countries like, you know, Costa Rica or, <laughs> or mm. South American countries, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty mm. crazy. It's like third world uh, country disease. So when you yes. travel to a third world country, I know some people get shots. Is that a shot you would get? I mean, do they have a hepatitis A shot? Yeah, in certain countries they yeah. have vaccines that we don't have, like the TB vaccine or uh, what's some other ones? The malaria. Malaria. Well, I think it's a pill. It's not necessarily a vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. And they offer the yellow fever vaccine when you travel to certain areas. But really, I think that you just shouldn't drink the water. You should be careful about where you get your food. And if you can, make sure that the people are washing their hands, at least when they're preparing your food. But you can't always be sure of that. Mm. Yeah. What about that hand sanitizer stuff? (laughs) That lasts for all of 30 seconds. (laughs) It's it's funny because I remember there was I, I saw one of those hand sanitizers and it said on it kills ninety nine point nine percent of some germs. That's handy. Yeah, I don't see yeah, how those lawyer. work. Like if you have poo on your hands, even if you can't physically see the poo, there's poo residue on your hands, and you're just rubbing some alcohol solution on there, you're just rubbing the poo all over your hands. I don't see <laughs> actually in your hands. You need some soap and some water to actually get that off of there. So so what is the bleach gonna do? I mean, why don't they just have hand dispensers of bleach water? They did that in one of the Ebola outbreaks in twenty fourteen. They had uh, special water that people could go to and wash their hands. And it was bleach? It had something in it. It wasn't just straight water. Hmm. Interesting. So I guess the moral of the story is <laughs> be clean, take a shower, wash your hands before you eat, and don't walk around on poo-covered streets. Hmm. <laughs> or, um, you know, if, if you have to, use a plastic bag. Yeah, and um, also if you're going to somewhere, one of these tropical countries, I don't know, like say Vietnam, then make sure the fish that you eat is well cooked. Mm. And don't eat the shrimp from there. (laughs) (laughs) No, the reason reason for this is because it turns out that um, there's a specific kind of parasite. Um, It's... It's known uh, to be common in um, Vietnam and countries like that. And people can can basically contract this parasite when they eat raw or undercooked fish. And uh, and so what it is, it's a t- it's it's yeah, I guess it's a type of liver fluke, um, and it can make its way into the liver and essentially stay there without um, causing anyone to feel symptoms to experience any symptoms for years and years and years and years and years. So there's this one article about um, talking about Vietnam vets, and uh, and it's saying that there's several of them who've actually come down with some sort of uh, like a rare bile duct cancer. Um, and generally, when they find out that they have the cancer, it's it's kind of too late. They've already done the damage, and um, and so. It, 
there's there's a lot of them who've gone for these tests, and apparently more than 20% of them came back positive for one of these parasites living in their liver. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's... Uh, I When I read crazy. that, yeah, when I read that, I thought, wow, okay, so you eat, like, this parasite in some kind of food 30 years ago, and it's not it's not digested, and it manages to work its way into your liver and stay there. And then it's, like, yeah. doing all sorts of crazy stuff, like eating parts of your liver or whatever. And then you only find out 30 years later that actually it's completely destroyed your liver, and you've only got, like, two months to live. Yeah, and they uh, actually start showing symptoms years. until at the very, very end. Yeah. I mean, the Vietnam War was, like, 50 years ago. So these vets who are coming down with it now... Fifty years—that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And the article said that it infects an estimated twenty-five million people worldwide, but we rarely find it in Americans. Yeah. And the symptoms they come down with apparently are jaundice, itchy skin, weight loss, and other. That's uh, That's also because this type of fluke, uh, liver fluke, it likes to live in the um, bile duct. And then it produces cancer, you know. It's a specific name, cholangiocarcinoma. Mm-hmm. And that is very mm-hmm. difficult, nearly impossible to diagnose in time. Be- why? Mm-hmm. Because nobody has it, you know, to begin with. It's very rare. Mm-hmm. So you never suspect it. And when it gives symptoms, yes, the liver is completely obstructed. The person is jaundiced. And I have only a few weeks or months to live, and that's it. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. My dad was in Vietnam. Maybe I should get him tested. Well, apparently you can give them an ultrasound. And find it. Yeah. Ooh, and I wonder yeah, but the if insurance moving around in the ultrasound. I mean, is it is it like a moving or is it microscopic? No, it's microscopic. Okay. It is my. Yeah. What they see in the, the ultrasound, ultrasound is like. Yeah, like a polyp, you know, like a yeah. there's like a like a tumor reaction of the bile duct off from the fluke itself. But that's too late or already too late. Yeah. Mm. Well Cook maybe the fish. um Yeah. <laughs> Cook fish. Maybe, Cook uh, that fish. Yeah. That's well, why iodine, they... iodine kills parasites, right? Mm. True. But I've seen a sushi campaign lately. I'm becoming paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a lot of fisheries and fish farms in Southeast Asia. Yeah, really, Mm. uh, as I mentioned earlier, the shrimp thing. You can look on our SOT archives. We've carried a few stories about shrimp farms in Thailand and Vietnam that are very, very questionable. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So find out where your shrimp comes from. And Trader Joe's sells these really good smoked oysters that I can't bring myself to eat anymore. Oh. <laughs> they come from a fishery. I think it might be outside of Thailand or somewhere around there. But they're really good. But I wonder mm. if the so smoking great. would kill the fluke. Uh-huh. Or maybe freezing it and then freezing it. <laughs> well, my question is, what makes the people in... Asia be able to survive it and not have the same effects that, say, the soldiers coming back from Vietnam did? Is their body more adapted? 
or or maybe they do get it. Mm-hmm. And we just don't hear I mean, about if it, it. If it can lay dormant for fifty years. Yeah, that's that's what I would think. They don't tell us. Yeah. Well, what's next on our list? What other interesting? Have you guys ever heard of Rapunzel syndrome? <laughs> no. No, I've heard of I've Rapunzel. Heard, yeah, I've heard the fairy tale. <laughs> Let your hair down. Yeah. Well, apparently there's this syndrome called Rapunzel syndrome, and it's um. It's a thing where people kind of have a compulsion to eat their own hair or eat hair in general. I've never heard of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, I know the I one. I have seen cool. kids who are nervous who have long hair suck on it, but I've never actually watched yeah. them eat it. No, apparently it's like there's there's different forms of it. In one form, they'll actually pluck it out of their head and, and eat like the, the root on the end of it. And But there's other ones where they actually just like swallow full-on hair. And apparently there was this this uh, uh, this girl um, this year who uh, in England was away at college, and she had this condition where she was eating her hair, and uh, she ended up dying because she ate so much hair that she actually had a hairball in her stomach, and it caused an infection, and it led to her um, dying. Hmm. Uh, it's, it was the infection she had per- peritonitis. Which I think is inflammation of the digestive tract or the stomach. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, her There's abdominal a that uh, surrounds the abdominal cavity. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, but that seems weird because cats eat hairballs all the time, and they throw them up. This girl couldn't throw up hers apparently. It might be a yeah. difference in the physiology of cats, like because they they probably have adapted that because they they clean themselves. Mm. With uh, and kind of probably adapted to dealing with hairballs in some way, but uh, humans not so much. Well, I wonder if it could partially be like there's that uh, syndrome called pica. I forget what it stands for, where people eat like dirt and clay yeah. things because they have a mineral deficiency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's come up with iron, iron deficiency, apparently. Hmm. And I think also B12 and folate. They say that there's a link there. Hmm. They eat earth. They eat the walls, the paint. <laughs> really they weird. were saying it was like based a- on a psychological condition. So there's actually a psychological condition called trichophagia. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. common enough that they would name it. Yeah, it just seems like a very strange compulsion. Like it's it's like you know the one the pika or pika or whatever it's called. Kind of they it kind of makes some sense because uh, you know you've uh, you, you have a mineral deficiency, so it's kind of like the body is like, well, I guess I better eat this dirt to try and replace my minerals. But it's like eating your own hair. It's like, well, I don't see why. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just crazy. Like it's just it, it's a symptom of crazy. Well, talking about kids eating dirt, I mean, that also boosts their immune system with microbes mm-hmm. in their environment. Mm-hmm. As long yeah. as they don't pick up warm or <laughs> parsley. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. saying that, though, saying that, they're using uh, helminth worms to... Uh, well, there's they, certain researchers who, who are saying that the lack of worms that we come across 
is one of the reasons perhaps why you know so many people have such bad digestion now is because some of the parasites you know typically when a kid gets worms and we you know give them some antiparasitic and they you know they get rid of the worms well there's researchers who are saying that those worms are actually probably beneficial in that they help to sort of clean out the debris in the digestive tract and also stop mm. pathogenic sort of organisms um, taking sort of hold. So, yeah, I don't know about that. But <laughs> and it's pretty common with kids that play outside a lot, especially barefoot, uh, ringworm and mm -hmm. things like that. Like they can actually go in through your feet from the dirt. Mm -hmm. I understand it correctly. Wow. My kids, my kids have had worms several times. And as you said, it was, you know, you give them a, some sort of medicine and it kills the worms. But yeah. Well, there's a 17-year-old boy in Mexico who wasn't so lucky. <sighs> he went to the doctor because his vision was decreasing and he had pain in his right eye. And then... The doctors looked at his eye and they saw a flatworm that was wriggling in and out of his eyeball. Oh, God. And it created multiple holes in his iris. So basically the worm had just taken over his eyeball and they had to surgically remove it, but they couldn't pull it all out in one piece. So they had to take it out piece by piece. And his vision is still jacked after six months. Wow. That's horrifying. It really is Kill them all words. It's just even worse than Toxo, you know. It's like, what? I mean, in Costa Rica we had um, Ascaris, you know, Ascariasis, but not what they usually know as Ascariasis in Europe because it's, uh, the European version is pretty benign. Mm -hmm. In Costa Rica, mm -hmm. if a child gets ascariasis, the child has to eat to feed the worms. Otherwise, you're gonna pop out through the through the eyes, you know, everywhere, oh, wow. you know. Like <laughs> uh, there has been appendicitis, wow. you know. The surgeon almost fainted when she saw a worm coming out of the. Oh, anyway, <laughs> it's serious stuff, you know. It's like I hate them worms. You kill them all. <laughs> it's just. Oh my god. So how do you get rid of it? Is there some kind of medication? Uh, yes, there is medication. Okay. But for That's the crazy. eye, though? Is there any yeah. anesthetic well, eye drops? You should, no, what you usually do... It, I think this story was actually the worm just uh, managed to get in through the nose and through the, out through the lacrimal gland, you know? Uh. <laughs> And, uh, no, the trick is, uh, yeah, give milk or anything to the kids so the worms will go inside the digestive tract. Uh, so uh -huh. it seems in more, like, warm cultures that these types of worms are more prevalent. Worm cultures? Worm culture. <laughs> or warm. <laughs> warm. I meant to say warm. Warm environments. Crazy. <sighs> worms are gross. Yes, and I can yeah. understand why people freak out when they see a worm inside of a person because they really don't belong there. <laughs> I was going to say, worms aren't so bad. You know, they're important for the soil. and They're not important yes. for eyeballs, though. That's, that's it. That, that's where they should belong. Especially they're big enough. <laughs> yeah, earthworms are different, I think, than they hold flatworms a special that place. invade eyeballs. Oh. Mm. 
Well, there is another story. It's not necessarily about a parasite or anything, but it was just horrific. I think in our slideshow on the show, there's a picture of a woman taking a selfie of herself before and after picture. Mm-hmm. So apparently uh, her skin just basically melted off of her. She was given Lamictal, which can be used as like a mood stabilizer. And they gave her the wrong dose and it caused something called Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And it just makes your skin just fall off. So basically her skin fell off and her hair fell off and she sued. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. So that's you can add that to the list of antidepressant uh, side effects. uh, Side effects may cause skin to melt off. But of course they don't tell her that. No, they don't tell people that. That's why she's suing because no one told her that that was a possibility for her skin to fall off. But her mood will be better. (laughs) You think? I don't see it that way. That was huge mishap. Yeah. <clears throat> so should we get to the title? <laughs> well, I was wondering. Anybody <laughs> <laughs> ever had seal finger? No, but I am absolutely <laughs> fascinated by it. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what so, it is? Well, we have to well, tell the backstory first. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so was there was a video. Tourist. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead okay. So there was this video that apparently went viral. I had never seen it before, but uh, apparently it was uh, it was all over the internet. And it's uh, basically a, a family of tourists in uh, San Fernando, Vancouver, and um, they were on a, a dock looking at the seals in the water. And this wasn't like a you know. A, uh, an aquarium or anything like that or a, a place where you would go to see kind of trained seals or something. They were just wild seals. And the father is kind of like, oh, you know, look at the seal and stuff. They aren't speaking English, but I'm assuming this is what he's saying. Oh, daughter, look at the seal. Look at this. And he's kind of patting the water and stuff. And the girl goes up to the, the water and is kind of looking at the seals and stuff. And she turns around. And as soon as she turns around, a seal jumps out of the water and grabs her and pulls her in. And uh, the father is like, I'm assuming it's the father anyway, it was a relative, like jumps in like instantly after her and kind of rescues her and like grabs her out. Not sure what the, the seal was doing. I guess maybe he wanted a meal, mm. but um, it's pretty crazy. And um, so anyway, this video went around and went viral and everything like that. But the, the, the follow-up was that the family ended up contacting the uh, Vancouver something to ask about because apparently she had some kind of infection and this infection was seal finger and it's an infection that's caused by a bacteria that's found in the mouths of sea mammals so mm, not just don't seals have any word on what's that no sea mammals in general so i guess you can get it from whales dolphins so I wonder if they call it mycoplasma bacteria. Would that be like a staph or a flesh-eating bacteria? That's like a cross between a virus and a bacteria. A typical bacteria, they call it. Mycoplasmas are part of them. Mm-hmm. So is it like a hybrid? Yeah, some people look at it that way. It's pretty weird. 
the never, mycoplasma. Yeah. Never, ever, ever, ever turn your back on a seal. <laughs> I saw the video. He looks yeah, so cute wandering around and then like a killer, you know, that term might just grab her and God knows where he was taking the poor girl. <laughs> I'll put the link in the chat so our, our chatters and listeners can watch the video. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's they're funny because they're like was dogs a... of the ocean, though. You, you know, common sense would tell you don't taunt a dog in the ocean. <laughs> but they're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> they're cute. They're so cute. They yeah, have a mustache. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that we're just like, you know, people are so used to like, the only place they see animals is on TV and in movies and stuff. So they probably expected them to like break into song or something like that. Something like that. It's like, you have to understand that these, like these are wild animals. You know, mm-hmm. there's actually one of the, the marine mammal experts in uh, university of British Columbia said, this was a male California sea lion. They are not circus performers. They are not trained to be next to people. So you can't just like, you know, approach a wild animal and be like, hello there. Do you want to play? <laughs> doesn't work that way. We have a caller. Maybe they have some experience with seal finger. Hello? Hello, caller? Caller, are you there? Caller, do you have anything to say about seal finger? <laughs> I suppose they do not. Hmm. Okay. Well, the chatter has a good point. It's like there has been several stories of bears and moose killing hunters. <laughs> it's mm. unprecedented because they're just, you know, stay there frozen in the hail, um, the yeah, headlights. And now this time yeah. they're attacking back. Huh. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of uh, it seems almost just in some way, but. Well, I wonder if these stories have always kind of happened, you know, randomly, but now because of the Internet, we we see more of it. Mm. Yeah, it could be. They just get publicized more. Yeah, I guess so. And another weird ailment that I never heard of. uh, This one's really sad and disgusting but it's called Hirschsprung's disease and it's a birth defect and a person is born with no nerve cells on the end of their colon so basically they don't feel the urge to defecate so in China uh, doctors had to remove 30 inches of a young man's colon Uh, his abdomen swelled I mean, looked like he was a nine-month pregnant woman, and they discovered 29 pounds of feces in his colon. And they surmised that this kilos. man had been constipated since birth. But wouldn't that's insane? If if you were that guy, wouldn't wouldn't you know that you were pooing out less than you were putting in? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> if that happened since you were so young, like wouldn't wouldn't it be sort of maybe maybe not, maybe um, not. 
Just forget I said, yeah. I, I don't well, know. I don't Maybe know. That I mean, that requires a lot more body awareness than some people have. But it seems yeah, like perhaps. he would have died long before he was 22 years old if he couldn't poo. See, it's hard. It's hard to say because, like the, it's it says that the man had been constipated since birth, but I don't know if that means that what they took out had actually been there since birth. No, I don't think. Or so. he just suffered yeah. from constipation because that would just be insane. I mean, you can still be constipated and poo on occasion. Yeah. But it would yeah. seem like if this man was fully aware of his condition, that he would be taking steps to evacuate himself either by artificial means or natural means on a daily basis or at least a few times a week just to make sure that something yeah. like this didn't happen. But just maybe he got up. a little fed up with the whole protocol of what he had to do and he just couldn't take it anymore. But that's the thing about a lot of these stories is that they don't provide a lot of details that very curious people would like to know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm very curious about that one. Yeah, there's not yeah, going to be a 60 Minutes TV special about Hirschsprung's disease. Yeah, and talk to this guy. Well, it said it, it affects 1 in 5,000 babies in the U.S., so... Hmm. I mean, he's kind of lucky in the sense that, like, that could have... I guess theoretically burst his colon mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. the feces gone into the into the uh the surrounding space and I guess that would probably yeah. provide fatal uh so oh, I guess it's good that they caught it my, my guess is that because since he was born with this he somehow you know matter of miracle or resilience managed to get through all these years like, Hirschsprung's disease is called, I think, yeah. It's not that rare, but it's mm. usually caught in the very, you know, in the very early stages. Also because, yeah, uh, for example, if a person is born in the hospital in the Western world, you know, they will not get, um, they will, um, doctors and nurses will inquire if the baby pooped before getting out or, you know, or in the first mm. visit, and so forth. So, yeah, it gets um, controlled for it's. There's screening for it. Hmm. But yeah, maybe in this case hmm. nobody did it. So <laughs> there you go. And nobody well, explained to him that it was the not guy, normal. <laughs> the guy, like he was nine months pregnant. I mean, once I start looking like I'm four months pregnant, <laughs> I would be concerned. I wouldn't let it go all the way to the nine month pregnant mark. <laughs> Well, when I saw the picture of it, and for those who are interested, it's in Doug's Sod exclusive about the uh, from seal finger to Rapunzel syndrome, 10 strange health cases in 2017. That's kind of the inspiration for today's show. Mm. You see people nowadays that do have rather large extended abdomens. And mm. I remember reading about wheat belly. And so, you know, sometimes you think, well, maybe it, it's that. Maybe it's something else, and it seems like a lot to carry around and, and live with and not notice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they say that constipation is very, very common, and uh, over-the-counter constipation relief medications are one of the top sellers. So 
maybe mm. people would let it go longer than they would if they're used to being constipated. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild. Pretty I can see the picture, you know. I don't know. I'll post the link to the article so people can, uh, chatters can have a picture of the call. And it's like the biggest piece I've ever seen, you know. <laughs> it looks yeah, like a side of beef. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on a lighter note, apparently, um, which governing body was it? Um, it's the World Health Organization who basically said that countries are grossly underprepared for infectious disease outbreaks. What they're basically saying is that nobody's ready. <laughs> so those theoretical, if Ebola goes crazy, if uh, Zika goes crazy, if the plague in Madagascar goes crazy, nobody is ready for it. They're not even so ready for sad. the winter. <laughs> I wonder what their definition is for ready, though. What do they mean? Yeah. Like they have enough vaccines piled up or enough mm. masks or enough hospital staff? or well, we How would they ever be prepared for something Antibiotics like because they're yeah. not working hmm. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's one I think I heard recently in the news that, you know, like big companies like Big Pharma is not investing on new antibiotic research. So we're stuck with the ones we have now and there's massive resistance and so good luck, you know, basically. Yeah, Yeah, we did a show in the past about it, right? Antibiotic Mm -hmm. resistance. Because there was that frontline documentary called Hunting the bacteria, and they talk just about that, Gabby, how they don't invest in new antibiotics is too expensive. There's not enough of a profit yeah. to mm. be made. Yeah. We'll die. And then, yeah. at least in the Western system, the flu has really not come at all, actually, at least here in Europe. Mm. Um, there is like a, like it should be like 60% higher. I don't know. I have, I saw the numbers today. I forgot. But we barely have flu. But you see almost news every day on mainstream newspapers that the emergency room services are still collapsed and not even with the flu, you know. Not enough mm-hmm. staff, you know, not enough resources, beds, you know, attached to each other, people that are infectious, you know, but basically coughing out who knows what, into others, people, patients, patients that are very vulnerable. And um, it's just like uh, everything is outdated in a sense, at least in the the public system. So there's that as well. And so people yeah, are worried that if they have a disease outbreak, a really important one, that's it, you know, everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> on their own. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well I mean, wasn't it even in the hospital beds that a lot of these MRSA-like infections were spreading? Like that, mm-hmm. the, even the the cleaning efforts, like they would wipe down the mattress, but it would be just as contaminated throughout. Yeah, like if you're you're sick, really, a hospital is the last place you want to be because those places are dirty, and mm. um, they 
they're supposed to, which I think they do. I've worked in the hospital and I've seen them in there cleaning the beds in between patients. But apparently a lot of hospitals are not cleaning beds properly. They'll use like a chemical cleaner that is good for hard surfaces, but not good for mattresses. And they do not either sanitize the bed before they wash it um, because otherwise they're just you know, moving the poo all around the bed and it gets stuck in all the little cracks and crevices. And basically, yeah. if you go into a hospital, you have a high chance of catching an infection, especially if you're immune compromised. But I think the risk goes up if the person who occupied the hospital bed before you got antibiotics, the hospitals mm. are very, very dirty. I mean, we were always told in nursing school and on the hospital floors, do not touch a patient's bed sheets with your bare hands. It's like touching their underwear. Yeah, it's true. Like I never, my clothing, hmm. all the clothing that I use in the hospital, yeah, I never left the hospital. I, you know, left everything there, you know, nothing really comes into my home, you know, because yeah, it's true. really like all the, all these strains, antibiotic resistance strains, any infection that you get in the hospital, it's bad. It's mm -hmm. really bad. Mm -hmm. If you get stuff in the community, oh, that's good. Never mind. You know, that's no problem you know? <laughs> in comparison. And then people that are sick and that go to the emergency room, they have more chances to, of vomiting in the in the bed and having diarrhea, poop in the bed. You know, so it's, yeah, it's just you can have an idea. <laughs> yeah, and people, the way hospital gowns are made, they're just pretty much laying with their bare butt all over the hospital bed. It's a really nasty place. So one of our chatters asked if ultraviolet light can kill bacteria. It can, but there's very mm. few hospitals that use that technology to clean all of their equipment. They use it for, like, some equipment, like uh, surgical kits and, you know, scalpels and all that, but they don't use it in the hospital rooms themselves. At least I've never heard of anybody using it there, though they should. Yeah. That's the line of what people bring up in the news, like, you know, journalists will interview staff members to hear about their, you know, stresses of every day in the emergency room or is it, it's just not outdated. Yeah, like there's a lot of things that go help, but, you know, basically hospitals stayed like in the decades ago technology kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like it's even if you're not sick, it sounds like you don't really want to be in a hospital. So they can make mistakes, can't they? And if you are mm -hmm. immunocompromised, you really don't want to be in a hospital. Yeah. You're pretty much guaranteed to catch something. And sometimes uh, they they just get things wrong. Um, and I guess this is natural, you know, we're all human. It's part of human nature to make mistakes. But sometimes when you make a mistake, it can have serious consequences and... Uh, there was this one case of this this lady. Um, she had she had birth. She gave birth to a baby, and um, apparently the doctors they uh, they failed to remove part of her placenta. So some of it was kept in there. Um, she returned to the hospital twice after being discharged, and uh, and then apparently the last time that she was admit, admitted into the hospital. Um, she came down with some crazy infection, and uh, and so she had to have both, all of her limbs uh, chopped off, 
amputated. Oh. So they they ampu- they they made the amputation um, below both of the elbows and the knees, mm. and a complete hy- hysterectomy mm. was performed. So her husband, um, bear in mind they've just given birth to a, a baby. The husband had to essentially uh, quit his job and is now caring for her full time. Uh, because the doctors uh, failed to acknowledge that the part of the placenta was still in there, I think. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's Unfortunately, horrible. that's not unheard of. Mm. Well, yeah, there was another piece of bad. news, uh, speaking of botched hospital procedures. There's a man, and it was in the news because he actually just won his lawsuit, and he got close to a million dollars. Um when uh, a he, he was undergoing uh, an operation to have one of his testicles removed because um, apparently he had suffered with uh, chronic pain there in his right testicle for years. So finally he was like, okay, yes, let's, uh, let's remove this thing because this is unbearable. And then the doctor removed the wrong testicle. That's so stupid. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So this was back in 2013 when he had the surgery, but he's just now got hit, won his lawsuit. And the jury found that the surgeon was recklessly indifferent. And his lawyer argued that no anatomical or medical... made His explanation made no anatomical or medical sense. Well, how And when he was asked... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, what, uh, after the procedure, he was asked if he would seek further treatment to actually, you know, get the correct uh, testicle removed and he said no because this whole thing has left him with debilitating fear oh, I would imagine so so well, now he still has the pain and everything obviously because they removed the wrong one just crazy and it'd be different if this took place like maybe 50 70 years ago but this was just in 2013 and there are mm. protocols in place when you go into the operating room Everybody stops. They sometimes mark which body part they're going to remove. Everybody stops. Everybody confirms, yes, that we're going to take off this testicle, not the other testicle. Mm-hmm. And apparently these people did not do that or it wouldn't have happened. Hmm. So he deserves every penny. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, there's another weird one. Back hmm. to funguses or fungi or fungi, <laughs> however you prefer to uh, call it. Uh, there was this 70-year-old man who started coming up with these symptoms. And it turns out he had a fungal infection that lived inside of his body for 30 years. It was histoplasma capsulatum. And uh, the only symptom that he had was altered mental status. So they did a CT scan and then an MRI, and his brain had a lesion on it. And they thought that he had cancer. But really, he just had this fungus. And no one knows really how he caught it because he was living in Arizona. And this particular fungus is common in, uh, like, the Mississippi and Ohio River valleys because of the Mm. humidity humidity in those places and they think that it's spread uh, from bird and bat droppings so this guy came down with this disease but 
he was immunocompromised. He had had a heart transplant uh, back in 1986, and he was on all of these immunosuppressive drugs. So if you can avoid taking <laughs> immunosuppressive drugs, by all means do. <laughs> but I guess he didn't really have a choice since he had someone else's heart in his chest. Yeah. Maybe the birds migrated to his area. Maybe. <laughs> but it's still strange. How he Isn't it called that. like cave? It's another name like cave fungus or something like that or cave? I know, I know that one because <laughs> I come from such a weird country. <laughs> Histoplasma capsulatum. Mm. Histoplasmosis. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird, but yeah, if you go to a cave, I don't know, maybe you should wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. But I thought bird droppings Seriously. on you was good luck. No. <laughs> yeah. Apparently bat droppings are not good luck. <laughs> well, there's another weird one where people are apparently coming down with, well, it's not that people are coming down with it, but certain people are affected by this condition where if they smoke cannabis, they end up having screaming, vomiting fits, and they've dubbed it scrumiting. So apparently it's this thing where it's like, you're not only vomiting, but you're screaming at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it, a psychotic breakdown? Becoming, well, I don't know. It's becoming more common as marijuana. It's like, in, this is an American article. So it's like as marijuana is becoming legal in more places, apparently it's like a certain percentage of people. It's not a very high percentage. I don't remember exactly. I the think these was, people certain, were like super long-term and very heavy mm, users of marijuana. Uh, I see. And they speculated that uh, maybe it affects the body's endocannabinoid system. And there are certain endocannabinoids that are found within the nervous system. So maybe it makes them lose their ability to not vomit randomly. They reached their point kind of thing. Yeah. Well, but I never heard of this before, like from the 60s. where We were doing a lot of drugs back then. Yeah, um, it was, it's interesting because there were some teenagers that were contracting this, not this screaming, vomiting, but from cannabis use, and they were having basically psychotic episodes. I think this was in like 2014, Mm -hmm. 2015, and uh, they were sending letters around local high schools about how they didn't know what it was from. And um, I actually knew two boys that had had episodes where they ironically started rapping, like, uncontrollably. And I, I've known these kids since they were, like, five years old. And they're, you know, normal teenage boys. One of them was my neighbor. And, and he really had lost his mind mm-hmm. and had a violent episode, was arrested, was taken to jail... And when the mother went to the hospital to talk to the nurses about what had happened, they said that in the last year, again, it was like 2015, they had had over 500 cases of teenagers between like the ages of 18 and 21 that had come in with the same type of symptoms. And they had no idea what was causing it. Were they smoking like 
pure, just normal just, marijuana just or was it synthetics? Yeah. Well, that was kind of one of the questions, whether it was synthetic or what they were using in the process of growing the marijuana was mm. was having a neurological effect. Yeah. Maybe mm. it's a new breed, like a super weed of marijuana that it's... It's THC or psychoactive form is particularly malignant. I don't know. Or maybe it, it was uh, contaminated with a fungus or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like in the 80s, paraquat was being sprayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was in Mexico and places to try and kill off. So maybe it is something environmental. But I, when I saw that story, I just thought it was very interesting because, again, it wasn't vomiting, but it was definitely psychotic behavior hmm. Hmm. crazy well it sounds awful scrumming scrumming uh, vocabulary is getting it's growing <laughs> <laughs> well do we have time for another one sure is it, a, is it an infectious one or not. Possibly, because they're wondering if Alzheimer's is an infectious disease, not just something as a result of, you know, aging or a bad diet or anything like that. Um, they did some studies on mice where somehow they connected them together and they shared a bloodstream. And one mouse that had Alzheimer's-like symptoms infected the other mouse that it was connected to. And the other mouse started exhibiting Alzheimer's-like symptoms. So they're wondering if the beta amyloid plaques, which are the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease, are caused by some uh, prion or misfolded protein. And it can be spread from person to person, or in this case, mouse to mouse. I see. I researched these in the past, but... Uh, it was not like a prion kind of agent. Mm. It was more viral, like herpes, mm-hmm. common herpes. Mm. And it was more like a stealth infection, nothing that, oh, I will get it overnight. No, it's, this, is, this builds up over decades. Mm. And it creates mm. neurodegenerative disease, Alzheimer's. There is correlation and, yeah, good information that just by inducing mitochondrial dysfunction, it might make people more susceptible. But if there's like a prion, yeah, that changes things. It makes more malignant. Well, prions cause uh, mad cow disease or Crutzfeld Jacob Jacob disease that strikes down certain Jews. So I think it's possible. And then there's also like people who had syphilis that was untreated uh, for years and years. And when they're elderly, they start exhibiting these weird uh, uh, I guess you call it neurodegenerative uh, symptoms yeah. yeah kind of like Lyme's disease you know mm. like well it used to be like Lyme's disease was mm. our modern syphilis but now syphilis mm. is doing a comeback a huge one yeah sounds like anything is possible <laughs> if there's some weird ailment that somebody can come down with, then Mother Nature will give it to them. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if the real plague, like one of the Middle Ages, comes back. I'm out of here. 
Where are you going? <laughs> yeah, where In the are crowd. Going? <laughs> I'll just disappear, you know. Not a villain. In the ground. <laughs> Underground. <Rapture. is> <laughs> yeah, Should like we take him? Any bad thing that can happen to somebody has already happened, or it will happen, or it can happen. Whether it's scrumming or your skin falling off or being kidnapped by a seal or <laughs> the weirdest things one. ever. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. We we live in very interesting times. Very interesting. <laughs> so is that our show? <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess. What can people do <laughs> yeah. to help save them from seal finger skin melting off? A ketogenic diet. Yeah. <laughs> help. Stay out of the hospital. Yeah. yeah. Wash your hands. Carry a plastic mm. bag at all times, just in case. Yeah. Don't be homeless. If you get if you get, t- <laughs> don't be up. If you get a tattoo, <laughs> don't go swimming. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, did you want to share about that one, Elliot? Oh, I can do. I forgot we didn't share about that one. Right. So there was this <laughs> one case of who basically um, he dropped down dead, uh, and it turned out that he had a tattoo on his leg um, of like a crucifix or something. And he was told not to go swimming um, or anything like that. And he defied those recommendations. Um, and he went swimming in the Gulf of Mexico, I think. Is that right? Yeah, he went swimming in the Gulf of Mexico. And then, um, was it the next day or like a couple days later, he, um, yeah, he came down with nausea and sickness. And, um, and he died. Like a couple of weeks later, while he was in intensive care, mm. I think. Um, so official mm-hmm. diagnosis of what he died from was it like that flesh-eating bacteria or? Yeah, was it was it necrotizing f- fasciitis? Yeah, from fasc- which one was it? The I can't remember. Flesh-eating bacteria, right? Flesh-eating bacteria. Yeah. So. uh... Yeah, if you get a tattoo, <laughs> don't don't go swimming <laughs> ever for the rest of your life. Well, that seems like pretty common sense with any sort of open wound that you wouldn't go into the water, mm-hmm. especially yeah. the Gulf of Mexico, with all the you know the corrects it and mm-hmm. all the different. Mm. Yeah, it yeah, would just seem like common sense, but I know that. Yeah. Not <laughs> that it's a superpower to stay. Yes. <laughs> we always used to say common sense is not a flower that grows in everyone's garden. <laughs> That's crazy. All right, so we're going to take this moment to go to the health and we- or the health and wellness pet he- pet health segment. It's about parasites. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the 
Diabetic Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and this time I'm going to share with you a recording about parasites, narrated by Jeb Derud, and how they manipulate the behavior of the hosts to improve their own survival, sometimes even by direct brain control. It is fascinating and scary at the same time, since humans also act as hosts to numerous parasites. Well, listen up and have a great weekend. Which of these entities has evolved the ability to manipulate an animal many times its size? The answer is all of them. These are all parasites, organisms that live on or inside another host organism, which they harm and sometimes even kill. Parasite survival depends on transmitting from one host to the next, sometimes through an intermediate species. Our parasites elegantly achieve this by manipulating their host's behavior, sometimes through direct brain hijacking. For example, this is the Gordian worm. One of its hosts, this cricket. The Gordian worm needs water to mate, but the cricket prefers dry land. So once it's big enough to reproduce, the worm produces proteins that garble the cricket's navigational system. The confused cricket jumps around erratically, moves closer to water, and eventually leaps in, often drowning in the process. The worm then wriggles out to mate, and its eggs get eaten by little water insects that mature, colonize land, and are in turn eaten by new crickets. And thus the Gordian worm lives on. And here's the rabies virus, another mind-altering parasite. This virus infects mammals, often dogs, and travels up the animal's nerves to its brain, where it causes inflammation that eventually kills the host. But before it does, it often increases its host's aggressiveness and ramps up the production of rabies-transmitting saliva while making it hard to swallow. These factors make the host more likely to bite another animal and more likely to pass the virus on when it does. And now meet Ophiocordyceps, also known as the zombie fungus. Its host of choice is tropical ants that normally live in treetops. After Ophiocordyceps spores pierce the ant's exoskeleton, they set off convulsions that make the ant fall from the tree. The fungus changes the ant's behavior, compelling it to wander mindlessly until it stumbles onto a plant leaf with the perfect fungal breeding conditions, which it latches onto. The ant then dies, and the fungus parasitizes its body to build a tall, thin stalk from its neck. Within several weeks, the stalk shoots off spores, which turn more ants into six-legged, leaf-seeking zombies. One of humanity's most deadly assailants is a behavior-altering parasite. Though if it's any consolation, it's not our brains that are being hijacked. I'm talking about plasmodium, which causes malaria. This parasite needs mosquitoes to shuttle it between hosts, so it makes them bite more frequently and for longer. There's also evidence that humans infected with malaria are more attractive to mosquitoes, which will bite them and transfer the parasite further. This multi-species system is so effective that there are hundreds of millions of malaria cases every year. And finally, there are cats. Don't worry, there probably aren't any cats living in your body and controlling your thoughts. I mean, probably. 
But there is a microorganism called toxoplasma that needs both cats and rodents to complete its life cycle. When a rat gets infected by eating cat feces, the parasite changes chemical levels in the rat's brain, making it less cautious around the hungry felines, maybe even attracted to them. This makes them easy prey. So these infected rodents get eaten and pass the parasite on. Mind control successful. There's even evidence that the parasite affects human behavior. In most cases, we don't completely understand how these parasites manage their feats of behavior modification. But from what we do know, we can tell that they have a pretty diverse toolbox. Gordian worms seem to affect crickets' brains directly. The malaria parasite, on the other hand, blocks an enzyme that helps the mosquitoes feed, forcing them to bite over and over and over again. The rabies virus may cause that snarling, slobbering behavior by putting the immune system into overdrive. But whatever the method, when you think about how effectively these parasites control the behavior of their hosts, you may wonder, how much of human behavior is actually parasites doing the talking? Since more than half of the species on Earth are parasites, it could be more than we think. Thank you for that, Zoya. Not even our pets are safe. <laughs> you think those goats have parasites? <laughs> Hopefully they're not mind-controlled. So that brings us to uh, our recipe section. We have a recipe for today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we haven't done that in, what, two years? Take it away, Elliot. <laughs> All things new yeah. and strange. <laughs> So uh, it was funny because we just listened to the Pet Health segment and uh, it spoke about crickets. Um, and recently I've been quite interested in crickets. Uh, we briefly covered cricket flour and other insect um, foods being promoted as healthy on the show maybe a couple years ago. Um, but I haven't seen much in the media since then. Um, so I was looking at cricket flour as a possible alternative to make um, to use for cakes, and the reason for this was because if you look at the amino acid profile of crickets, it's uh, it's very similar to something like bone broth. Um, it's very high in glycine, very high in proline. Uh, it's low in tryptophan, low in methionine, um, and low in cysteine. So really, it's it's. I was surprised at how good of a protein protein it was. Um, so I bought some cricket flour, and I've been experimenting this week uh, to see whether I could come up with with something that is actually edible. <laughs> so uh, so I actually yesterday I um, I I managed to cook a brownie, and really I was I was quite astonished at how good this brownie really turned out. Um, and so I'll share the recipe. It's very basic, but you would be really surprised uh, how good it tastes. So it it probably serves one or two people. I'd say it serves one person if they're hungry, but, you know, it can serve two, two people. It's really good, so you may eat the whole thing. So I'll get to the – I'll cut, cut, cut to the chase, right? So it's a quarter cup of cricket flour, and you can get cricket flour on Amazon 
um, or some other sort of health food shops and stuff. Um, 40 grams of fat. So you could use coconut oil or you could use butter. I find that coconut oil works better. Um, one egg, a pinch of bicarbonate of soda. So you literally just get your fingers in the bicarb. I should have measured it, but I didn't. Just get your fingers in there and sprinkle it around. Um, one and a half tablespoons of honey, or you could use some other kind of sweetener uh, if you want. And half a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar. So what you do is you mix the flour, um, you melt the fat in a bowl, you mix it together, and then you whisk in the egg. And if you whisk it for like a couple of minutes until there's bubbles, it will turn kind of like into a thick, gooey type texture. Um, and then you can add the bicarb, add the apple cider vinegar, and then add the honey. Mix it all together and put it in like a baking dish. You could use parchment paper. You don't necessarily have to, though. Um, yeah, so you put it into the dish and you stick it into the oven at 180 degrees Celsius. Uh, so I don't know what your how that converts to Fahrenheit. About 360. You basically uh, double it. It's pretty close to double. Okay, yeah, so like 360, 350 Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you cook it for 20 minutes. And then you take it out and you let it cool and <laughs> you enjoy. Mm. Yeah. Are these <laughs> wild caught crickets? I was just going to say, are they sustainably harvested? <laughs> well. <laughs> Come from cricket farm. Yeah, I'll be honest. They come from Thailand. Yeah, they do. (laughs) But I figured, I mean, what could they feed crickets? I'll admit, it's not so. I haven't researched it yet. I can't imagine it's going to be too bad. It could be bad, though. So, yeah, try and get sustainably farmed crickets if you can find them. It's really expensive. Is that true? Like, what would it, what would it cost somebody if they wanted to buy, say, you know, eight ounces or twelve ounces of this cricket flour? Well, I, what I do is I buy it in hundred gram pouches. So yeah, it is kind of expensive. Um, for a hundred grams, I don't know how that converts to ounces, um, but for a hundred grams, it's about six pounds in the UK. Mm-hmm. But you can, I mean, what you can do, I know of a, a guy, his name's Andrew Scarborough. Uh, he's like a, a famous keto blogger. He cured his brain cancer. So he started using this a couple of years ago. And what he actually does is he goes to the pet shop and buys live crickets. Um, and then I think that he actually sort of roasts them and then blends them down himself. <laughs> I haven't started doing that yet. Um <laughs> So but, they use all of the cricket, the eyeballs and the cricket butt and everything in cricket. Well, flour. like, yeah, I mean, I guess they, <laughs> I guess they just use everything. But that's, that, I guess that's partially, partially why it's so healthy. If it's not for <laughs> fed GMO feed, I hope it's not. If it is, then I have to, I have to check that out. But I doubt it. because you know, because it's got the exoskeleton, you know, it's it's the collagen. That's that's what the cricket's made out of mostly, you know, collagen and all these sorts of things similar similar to what makes up animal skin, really. Um, and I think that's one thing that a lot of us aren't really getting much of in our diets. That's why why I decided to try it. And I'll I'll be honest, this tastes as good as any wheat cake, you know, or brownie that you could make. I was I was quite astonished at how good it actually turned out. Um, so mm. there's a lot of experimentation that can go with that, but. 
yeah, uh, that's... You just have to kind of get over the idea of eating crickets. And when it tastes so good, when it tastes like chocolate... Oh, I forgot to add to the recipe. You can add a, a tablespoon of, like, cocoa powder. Mm. Oh, or yeah. some melted Probably. chocolate or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So do you have uh, a name but, for this recipe? Well, I mean... <laughs> cricket brownies? Yeah, cricket brownies, I guess. <laughs> Pretty basic. But, uh, yeah. And I bet they would taste especially good if you're eating them in the summertime with the sound of crickets in the background. Maybe we could just go <laughs> cricket hunting. I'm, I do wonder how many it would take to make, you know, that much flour. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Apparently, they're quite easy to make it at, at, um, at home. But what you could also do is you can buy maggots and stuff. Oh. Um, <laughs> the the same company, yeah, the same company does a mixed mixed critters. So it's a mixture of crickets and maggots and ants, um, and I think it's I believe it's ground up, and apparently, uh, apparently it's quite tasty. These people, these people are making a lot of money with this. Yeah, totally. Seriously. It's a potential business opportunity. <laughs> I remember from being a kid, the ants are kind of bitter and they burn your tongue. <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> I can't speak about maggots, so. though. I think the weirdest thing I've ever eaten is snails, you know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but there's quite a lot of researchers who've sort of, you know, um, I believe there was a book. It was something like The Bugs for Me. I can't remember what it was called, but there's quite a lot of people who've who've sort of uh, who've assessed or evaluated the nutritional profile of these of these uh, these creatures, and they've basically you know they've said that you know if you look at any traditional culture, and they're quite rightly stating this, is that they do tend to um, they tend to include everything you know whether it be snails or whether it be you know the odd maggot or larva or you know crickets and stuff. It differs in different countries, of course, but, you know, I can imagine that our ancestors probably did eat slugs every now and again. Um, That's because so. they had no choice. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Even caviar is fish eggs, you know, people go that far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, try it out. Disgusting about that. <laughs> I don't know. I've always, like, always, like, I had the opportunity to try a cricket um, protein bar at one point. And I was like, yeah, no, sorry. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. It's it's a line that I'm not really looking to cross. That's just, <laughs> that's just... Never say no. <laughs> well, I won't say never. I mean, who knows? Maybe given the opportunity again after uh, yeah, Elliot's just wait. recommendation. Maybe I would. <laughs> just One wait. day, Doug. <laughs> that sounds ominous. Well, if nobody has anything else to add... If that is our show for today, thank you for joining us, chatters and listeners. Are we going to be off for the next couple of weeks for the holidays? Yes. Taking a break? Yes. So thank you for tuning in. Please listen to Sunday's show, and we hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Stay healthy. Take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and we'll see you next year. Bye. 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 Bye.